when we devised the show and we were coming up with what the story of the show was going to be, we're thinking, how do we make a really great show that honors Christ and the intentions of the Gospels, um, but is also just watchable and entertaining and makes sense as a show? Joining us today is Dallas Jenkins. He's the director of The Chosen, a multi-season series about the life of Jesus through the eyes of his disciples. Dallas, thank you so much for taking the time to be a part of Raven's Heart. Oh, I appreciate it, Glenn. Thanks for having me on. Let's get right into the questions. Uh, you know, over the past several years, there's been a number of films released about the life and the ministry of Jesus. To you, what makes The Chosen different than these other films from the past? Well, I think there's a couple things that we intentionally are making different. I mean, in fact, I happen to be wearing a hoodie that is kind of the, the one of our catchphrases and kind of the foundations of our uh, show. And our approach, it says, get used to different. And it's a line that um, I wrote for Jesus to say to Simon in episode seven of season one, when Simon is confused by the fact that Jesus is calling a tax collector to follow him. And uh, he says, you know, this, you know, I'm different and, and this is different. What's happening? And Jesus says, get used to different. And I think the reason that that stands out for us is because um, the, fa the fact that this is a multi-season show um is very different. I mean, it's, there's literally never been a multi-season show about the life of Christ. There's been movies and miniseries, but never a multi-season show where you can really take the time to dig into the backstories and into the cultural and historical context in a way that you don't normally do in a movie or miniseries. And I think all the things that come with that are what make the show different. Uh, for example, in a lot of Bible projects that I've seen in the past, goes from miracle to miracle, Bible verse to Bible verse. <clears throat> and you don't get the time to know the people that Jesus is actually impacting, which means that your connection to the characters is somewhat limited. Jesus as a main character, and we're just following him around. It's actually, this may sound horrible to say, but Jesus doesn't actually make for a great main character in a drama. Uh, if you've ever studied drama or storytelling or literature, uh, you'll often find that what makes a good protagonist is someone who has to change, has to learn something, has to grow, uh, has to accomplish a task, and it's overcoming their own fears or anxieties or, or struggles or weaknesses. And of course, Jesus doesn't have that. So we, uh, are by, by doing a show in this way, where you are seeing Jesus, sometimes we're, we're experiencing through things through his eyes, but we're just as often, if not more often, experiencing things through the eyes of the people around him. And that allows us to connect more deeply to, and, and impactfully, I believe, to what's happening. If you can identify with the questions and the struggles that these people are having, 
then you can identify with the answers and the solutions to those questions and struggles. And I think that's what people seem to be responding to. Along with that is because we're giving all of this context and backstory, things that aren't from scripture, in fact, much of which we've, or at least a good chunk of of which we have uh, invented, while of course trying to maintain fidelity to the character of of the gospels, is that um, people, you, you actually, they sound like human beings. Um, we hear this all the time and it's kind of funny. People say the chosen just feels so real or these people seem like so human. And it's, it's kind of sad that that's considered to be unique or, uh, disruptive. Um, but I think what people are responding to is the fact that so often our interaction with, or our experience with these disciples and including Jesus is through stained glass windows, statues, Mm -hmm. uh, words on a page, quoting King James scripture. And we don't remember that they were actually human beings who had the same experience as we did. And, uh, and I think a show in this way, emphasizing their humanity, while not, of course, at all ignoring or discounting the divinity of Christ um, and showing his miracles and his supernatural gifts, um, I think is what seems to be causing people to respond the way that they are. And I think it's what's very different about this versus other Jesus projects. Yeah. There are two backstories that I'm extremely fascinated with that really captured me in watching uh, the series, and that's the backstories of Peter and Matthew. Can you tell us a little bit about how you've developed the backstories for those disciples? Yeah. So we start with what we know from Scripture. So there's the stories that we know. So we know that the introduction to Simon Peter in the Gospels uh, is different at different for, from different Gospels, but for the most part, it seems like his before was um, before Jesus called him to follow him. Uh, and his after is his experience with Jesus through those three years of ministry. And then, of course, we see him into the book of Acts and and the extraordinary things that he wrote and did. Uh, Matthew, uh, all we know is that um, his moment of of reckoning and change took place when Jesus walked by his booth and said, follow me. And Matthew stopped everything, dropped everything and followed him immediately. So you look at those stories and you go, okay, we know very little about Matthew's personality from it, as much as we do from Simon. Cause we, there's so many stories about Simon. You can say, okay, he's clearly temperamental. He's passionate. He's intense. He's loyal. Um, and with Matthew, we don't know as much about personality, but we can, what are the things we can glean? All right, so he was a tax collector. He was a numbers guy. He was a facts guy. The first chapter of his book is is, is a genealogy divided into three sections of 14 names apiece. So he's clearly very p- precise. And um, and uh, and then he chose a, a profession that made him an outcast. He was hated by the Jews for betraying their people by being a tax collector, and he was disrespected by the Romans for being Jewish. So we start with all of that, and then we go, okay, we're going to introduce you to these people before they meet Jesus. What can we glean, and how? what, what, do, we, what do we want to say about them, and what can we show? And, um, you know, with Matthew, for example, as we were putting together the things that I just listed for you, I was like, huh, I'm very familiar with the Asperger's autism spectrum. Um, it's in my family. It's It's in a lot of the uh, volunteer work my wife and I have done. I know it very, very well. He sounds like that some of his characteristics sound Asperger's. Now, I'm not sure he was. Uh, who knows? But 
there's no indication that they didn't have that kind of thing back then. Uh, just wasn't diagnosed like it is today. So why not? And I thought, boy, this could be such a human way into the story and into this character and so relatable and interesting. And um, so what does that look like? And, and so then you build, start to build storylines too. So, okay. He was disrespected by the Romans. He was hated by the Jews. This is what his life would have looked like. You do research about how they collected taxes and, Again, a lot of this isn't in the Bible because the Bible, when it was written and when, when these gospel writers were writing it, a lot of it was assumed on their part that the readers would know what they were talking about. And also, they weren't writing for the purpose of a television show. They were writing just to give Jesus' greatest hits to prove he was the Messiah. So a lot of this has to be found in other sources, but you can put together a backstory and a context that doesn't contradict the Bible, even if you don't find it in the Bible. If Simon was this way after he met Jesus. You can only imagine what he must have been like before he met Jesus. So knowing this context, historically and culturally, what he was going through, a guy like Simon was clearly a fighter, someone who was had a bit of a rebellious streak, but also a loyal streak. So he would have been very loyal to his, to his Judaism, which would have made him very antagonistic towards the situation he was in. Um, what does that look like? What would it be like to married to be married to someone like that? How would he handle being oppressed by the Romans? How would he handle how would he handle being financially stressed? Um, and then, you know, you just start coming up with things that would fit into that. Of course, good writing means that whatever wherever your character is going, the furthest path that you take to get there is is typically what's going to be best. The biggest contrast between what their victory is later. Uh, the bigger the contrast between that and what they're struggling with at the beginning, the better. So we introduce Simon as someone who's fighting, someone who's gambling, uh, because he's so desperate. And uh, and so over the course of time, as you see him change and as you see him meet Jesus and be transformed by Jesus, a lot of ways it's going to be an answer to the setup that we gave. So that's a long answer to your question, but it's just, a, I think it's an insight into kind of what our thought process is as we build these backstories. No, it's very refreshing, but it's so simple. Taking a look at scripture in context, I never thought of looking at Matthew that way because you read the genealogy and you're like, okay, I know this is important, but it's like, okay, can I get to the next chapter past the right. gene genealogy? And really, you know, for uh, somebody that we interviewed a few months ago, Dr. Michael Heiser has made it very clear that the, when the disciples wrote the scriptures, they were not robots just, you know, writing down automatically but their personality was infused in that. And that is just so refreshing. And talking about these characters, I want to talk about something that when I first saw it in the first season hooked me in because I was like, okay, they're going somewhere and they see something. Just to give you some context, a lot of our viewers listen to a lot of hard rock, heavy metal type music. And in the beginning, in the first season, Mary Magdalene, you referred to as Lilith. Now, very few people in churches know who Lilith is, but you go to any heavy metal concert and metal service, oh, yeah, we know Lilith all about that. Um, why did you choose to focus on such an obscure spiritual topic, which is spoken of in Scripture, in Isaiah, and ascribe that name to Mary Magdalene at the beginning? Yeah, I wish I could give you some sort of really deep theological uh, exploration that we did. Um, it, it, but it, it really started with, um, all right, in Scripture, it says this just says only this about Mary Magdalene when she's introduced. There were some women followers of Jesus. They helped support his ministry financially. They included, and they mention Susanna, Joanna, and Mary Magdalene, and they just say who had had seven demons 
had who'd been possessed by seven demons. It doesn't even necessarily say Jesus is the one who exercised those demons, but of course we're going to assume, at least for the sake of our show, that that's what took place. So, um, so we're thinking, all right, we want we want to see her before this took place. We want to see we want to, we want to know Mary Magdalene. We want to know her before. That's what we we use that term a lot. What's what's their before? They're before they met Christ, and um, so what are the things that uh, would have caused demon possession back then? Uh, how would it have been treated? Uh, how, what is, what causes demon possession now? And so we worked out a lot of different things. And, uh, you know, that's where you see in a se- episode one of season one, you see her experience deep trauma. Trauma oftentimes opens us up to, uh, to not be ourselves, to, ex- to to be open to new things, to heal us from trauma. And uh, oftentimes that can lead to serious vices and oftentimes lead to something like a, a demonic oppression. And uh, so then when we were, we, we came up with the idea, of course, that she has um, abandoned her, her upbringing. Uh, she was, she was assaulted. She was tra- traumatized. She now is, is trying to disassociate from her upbringing. I mean, I, I've, I've seen, I've experienced that with my own son. I have an adopted son who, um, you know, early on was, was disassociating from his background, from his first four years of his life in an orphanage. And uh, so you see that you, you, it's often a response to trauma. So on that note, um, she's, she's disassociated so much, she's changed her identity. And, and we thought what a powerful, ending of episode one could be Jesus calling her back to who she's truly meant to be and who she is, who he, you know, her, her real name, her real identity, he's going to redeem that. And uh, so what's, what's an alternative name? And uh, my co-writer Tyler, who's a biblical historian and, and uh, is, is just a genius at connecting tissues between the old Testament and the new Testament and the Jewish culture and, and, uh, and kind of our understanding of who Jesus was. And uh, the, the name Lilith is mentioned in in Scripture, like you mentioned in Isaiah, and mentioned in, in the Book of Genesis. It's it's also in in uh, certain religious traditions to represent uh, uh, demon. I mean, to to to, to represent um, you know the, the the feminine demon. And uh, so uh, we just thought that well, that that's that's a that's a. I mean, again, I don't have much deeper analysis than that, other than well, that would be a cool name for. Lilith's new identity is or for for Mary's new identity is Lilith because it has a lot of deeper meaning. We knew mo- a lot of the audience wouldn't pick up on it, but uh, for those who did, uh, it, I think it has an, an added layer of meaning. But it didn't. We didn't go into it going, let's let's f- find a spot for the name Lilith. It was, oh, this would be a better name than any other name we could come up with because it's got all these deeper meanings. It makes sense. And as soon as I heard that, my ears perked up and I was like, okay, this is a little bit deeper than just your common movie about Jesus and the disciples. I was like, they know something about scripture. And that's what I really appreciate about this. And there's another scene I want to ask you about because it personally affected me. And it kind of describes my walk with the Lord. I came out of a very strict, independent, fundamentalist background where everything was just black and white and God was in a box and you could measure the box that we put him in. And the scene that really took me so profoundly was a scripture verse, what Paul wrote about looking through a glass rather darkly or dimly. When Nicodemus is standing there looking at the polished mirror, 
And he says, God is more mysterious than we would know or think. What was the truth that you were driving at with that particular scene? What did you want people to grasp from that? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, And it speaks to our whole approach with the show. We don't go into an episode thinking, all right, episode six is going to be about this lesson or this sermon conclusion we want to come to and and we're going to we're going to teach you a lesson and, and uh, by delivering a message through a show. Um, we are desperately trying to introduce Jesus through human beings, uh, through us, our story of discovering Jesus and being found by Jesus, being found by his father, being found by the Holy Spirit. Um, however you want to look at that, um, is the story of, it's their story as well. So, I don't think we, when we, well, I know we didn't, when we, when we devised the show and we were coming up with what the story of the show was going to be, we're thinking, how do we make a really great show that honors Christ and the intentions of the gospels, um, but is also just watchable and entertaining and makes sense as a show. And in the process of doing that, when we, when we chose these characters to be focused on like Nicodemus and Mary Magdalene and Simon and Andrew and, and Matthew, we did choose them because of their unique perspectives and relationships to, to Christ in the sense of, okay, Nicodemus is someone who has his foot in his religion and has another foot in a pursuit of, of who Jesus is because he meets Jesus in John chapter three under cover of darkness, which the Bible mentions that he was essentially doing that secretly. Uh, we know that the majority of religious leaders did not like Jesus. So what would cause Nicodemus to be this way? Why would he Why would he believe in Jesus um, when most of the other Pharisees did not? Jesus is the Messiah. Um, and we also know that after Jesus meets with Nicodemus in John chapter 3, Nicodemus does not uh, come forward publicly as a follower. In fact, we don't see Nicodemus again until later in the book of John when he just shows up at a, at there's like the, the, the leaders, the religious leaders are, are essentially talking about what to do with Jesus and are making some conclusions. And Nicodemus kind of, you know, subtly raises his hand and says, hey, what about giving him a fair trial? Like, hey, let's let's make sure we're, we're treating him normally. And, and then that's all we see. He's not outright saying, I believe in this guy. It's not until Jesus dies that Nicodemus then shows up again. And, and, and comes up with tens of thousands of dollars worth of spices and perfumes and helps in the burial of, burial of Jesus, which means he's now out as a follower. So we looked at that as a bit of a guilt offering, almost like Jesus, he feels guilty about the fact that maybe he didn't uh, publicly follow Jesus. Now, why am I giving you all this backstory to just such a, a small, uh, a simple question? Well, it's because we have to account for what leads Nicodemus to that moment on the roof, which happens in John, which happens in episode seven of season one. And what would cause someone who is a religious leader, the teacher of teachers, as he's known in the gospels, what would cause him to, to question his own religious formality, which would have to take place for him to then be able to look at Jesus as godly when Jesus wasn't fitting into their expectations and didn't follow the 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 uh, the expected path 
of, of the religious tradition of what the Messiah should look like, what are the questions he would ask. So we have to show that starting in episode one, what kind of gets in his head. So that scene that you're talking about, when his wife is like, what in the world are you going on about? Why are you thinking these things? Why are you questioning these things? You need to stick to your path. Mm-hmm. You, just, you, know, you, you need to know who you are. You're a leader. In fact, she says to him, they don't come to you for questions. They come to you for answers. And Nicodemus is like, but I have questions. <laughs> and what are some of the questions he would have? And I think my, it was yeah. my co-writer, Ryan, uh, who, who came up with that beautiful line of what if what if what we think we know isn't all that there is? What if it's more beautiful and mysterious than we can yes. even imagine? Yeah. And his wife reacts like many people on social media react whenever we start to analyze anything or question anything about our faith um, or even explore. They just go, that's um, that, that's probably that's blasphemous, right? You know, you don't question. Um, you know, that's and she actually says that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Mm-hmm. Now, we're not making a statement about the fact. I mean, I, I believe the God, but the Bible is complete, and I don't believe that that uh, there's new revelation that we, that we need from God. But we do. There's new understanding yes. we also need from God, and. Uh, and oftentimes it's in the course of our lifetime, we can never fully get through all of the entire scriptures understanding wise. We can read them all, but new things come uh, and our understanding deepens every day, hopefully. And hopefully, uh, yeah. That's yes. And uh, Nicodemus is going through what I think a lot of us need to be going through. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because you know, very strict religious communities. They say, once you start questioning, you're going to start going down that slippery slope. You don't want to do that. You just want to stay in line with what you're telling you. And then when you actually start reading the scriptures for yourself, it's like, oh, wow, I did not know that this was in there and a whole new world opened. Inspire Tees Company is a Christian-owned business that sells inspirational and Christian-themed t-shirts. Available in many sizes and colors are tees, are for men and women, and many are unisex in selection. Inspire Tees is a woman-owned and operated business as well, and Inspire Tees supports veterans, military personnel, and police. When you purchase a tee from Veterans, Military, and America category, 10% of those profits go to the Wounded Warrior Project. For more information, follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash up and God begins to reveal himself to you. There's just so many points that you've hit in this series that always have been kind of a mystery to me and just had me locked in right away. And I want to go to season two at the Pool of Bethesda. That place has always been a mystery to me. And it indicated to me that there's a lot of research that's done for these uh, episodes. That it's not just, hey, you're just putting some out there and guessing, but you're actually doing historical and archaeological research for the storylines. Can you tell us about the research process for The Chosen? Yeah. So, you, you know, when you, when you look at these scriptures, sometimes you, you go, wow, that makes no sense. I'm sorry. It just doesn't. Why would, I mean, j- just using the Pool of Bethesda as an example. There's a there's a verse in John chapter four. I believe the Pool of Bethesda takes place in John chapter four or five. Forgive me, um, but there there's a verse that's included in some translations and not in others, um, and it's it's verse three of the chapter. I'm, I, again, I'm not I'm blanking on the on the chapter, but um, it, it's it just says you know people would gather around sick you know sick sick and, and infirmed would gather around this uh, pool. 
and an angel would come and stir up the water. And the first person to get to the stirred water would be healed. And you're going, what? That, that can't be, that can't be the case. They have, they have to race to get to, to, to be healed. What is this? Well, then you see there's other translations that don't even include that verse. So you go, okay, well, we want to tell the story of the pool of Bethesda because I love it. I love that story. I love that Jesus tells him to pick up his mat and walk. There's all these wonderful things to unpack. But we, we, we got to deal with this whole pool of Bethesda thing. And what, so then you come to find out, okay, that actually wasn't a scripture verse. It was highly likely a note that a scribe had written on one of the scrolls, giving context to what certain people believed. And uh, and then it, it was mistakenly included in some scrolls as a verse. Now, that's a pretty scary proposition for some people. They go, wait a minute, the King James Bible has a verse that actually isn't scripture? What does that mean? And you realize, okay, yeah, the, this is a living, breathing scripture, and 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 some some of our expectations aren't always correct. So you go, okay. I grew up maybe you know there was there, there was a song that used to be sung in vacation Bible school about stirring up the water and all this stuff, and yeah, and an angel healing people, and, and you realize actually that probably wasn't true. There wasn't actually an angel who came and stirred up water and said, "All right, first one here gets to be healed," and. Then you look more into the Pool of Bethesda, and you look into the the, the traditions of it, and, and and again, this some of this isn't from Scripture. You look up historical context, cultural context, and um, we found that, I mean, my my co-writer already knew some of this, and my some of our consultants already knew some of this, but you knew that the the pool actually has some pagan roots as well. Now, did, was was it pagan at the time of this healing? Our Messianic Jewish rabbi consultant doesn't believe it was. So he would actually say, at the time of the scene in our show, the pagan rituals that were taking place at that place, he'd say, he would say, weren't happening at that time. Um, and we just decided to kind of constri- uh, c- kind of combine a couple of time periods into one, um, and uh, so, so that for, for the sake of this particular storyline. But again, long answer to your question, but it's just an example of you you do the research and you 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 start with scripture. And you start with what you know and sometimes what you don't know from Scripture and what you thought was was there and wasn't or things that you didn't remember were there and are. And 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 I'm, I'm finding all the time people watching the show and going, sometimes they criticize the show and they say, this isn't biblical. And, and then they go look up the Bible and they realize that it is. And other times they, they watch something in the show, a scene from the show, and they, they go, uh, yeah, I, I love that moment from the Bible. And they remember, then they realize that that moment actually isn't from the Bible. It's from history. And uh, I actually think it's a really cool thing because it's causing people in, in by, by the millions, literally by the millions, to read their Bibles more than they ever have before and to do some of the stuff that we're doing to, because it's so cool and it's so fun to just dig deeper into the Bible beyond just your daily Bible reading. I'm going to read this chapter. Oh, that's a really cool story. Occasionally, I'm going to hear a pastor preach a sermon about it. That's some really cool context. But that's about where, as far as it goes. Now people are like really starting to explore and geek out on it and start to do things like their own, you know, Jewish Shabbat dinner on Friday nights, um, you know, because they're exploring the Jewish roots of their faith that they hadn't really thought about. All that stuff is very, very fascinating. That is fascinating. What has been the biggest surprise to you in regards to viewer reaction to The Chosen? Oh, there's tons of things um, because I don't, I don't write thinking about the reaction. Um, 
I, I, in fact, I consciously avoid it. I'm trying to just please God and, and my wife <laughs> and uh, trying to be as faithful to the intentions and character of scripture while making a, a good TV show. And that's really, really hard to do. Uh, making a good TV show is really hard. Making one that honors God and his intentions is very hard. So I don't think about the audience, but but there's so there's lots of things that surprise me. The number one thing is 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 uh, the number of children who like the show. Um, I did not expect children to like this show on any level. In fact, I'm sure there's many who don't because it's a complex show. It's a, it was made, I think, primarily for older people because of the storylines and the plot and it's the themes. It's just not a kid's flanograph type thing where, and then Jesus did this and he healed the, the, the poor man who, you know, couldn't walk. Um, you know, we have plot lines and complicated backstories and stuff. And, and yet somehow God is, transcending all that with children, with people in other cultures, other ethnicities. Uh, so when you have an 85-year-old woman loving the show along with a seven-year-old boy, um, that is shocking to me. And uh, and then you've got people my age or people who like, you know, regular television and movies and don't typically like, Christ, you know, Christian-based or faith-based shows or movies who love it too. It's that never ceases to amaze me and shock me. Yeah, it's, it's very good writing, very good storyline, the way that it's presented. It's a high quality presentation. And, you know, I'm not really so surprised myself about the kids because, you know, I'm a 70s kid and my mom and dad, when it would come on TV, we'd watch King of Kings, the, the old movie King of Kings uh, about Jesus. Very stoic movie, not anything compared to what the chosen is, but I was fast. I didn't understand it all, but I was fascinated by it. And then like, you know, 10 years, uh, later, 15 years later, I find myself, God saves me, you know, and, and sure. he was drawing me at that time. So maybe God's drawing those young children through what you're doing through that project. Have you heard any testimonies of how people's faith has been increased by watching the chosen or how they've maybe even been led to a saving faith in Jesus? through the project that you're doing? Oh, every day. Um, and it never gets old. Uh, every single day we hear either on social media comments or from emails or from direct messages, um, multiple people saying some form of my life has radically changed. Um, absolutely. We have heard, I mean, more times than I can count people say, I am now a believer in Jesus because of this. Um, or, or this show was the step that led me towards a saving faith. Um, I, I will say this. I don't believe that the show should ever be expected to be in the, in the role of bringing someone to Jesus. Um, certainly not totally because the Bible and, you know, God's word and, and, and a relationship with the Holy spirit is ultimately the, the the end game. Uh, the the show is not a replacement for scripture. Um, it is not a sermon. I am not a pastor. I am not God. Jonathan, who plays Jesus, is not Jesus. Um, you know, this is just merely one aspect and 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 a tool, perhaps, in perhaps causing you to know Jesus and hopefully love Jesus more than you did before you watched the show. But that can take place at any stage, whether you're an unbeliever, you know, brand new to the story, or whether you're someone like myself who's known the story the whole your whole life. Um, hopefully, the the show can 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 maybe accelerate, as a lot of people tell tell us that it has their growth in in, mm -hmm. in, in their relationship with Christ because it's such a different 
perspective. Again, it's, the story is the same. The gospel is the same, but the perspective and the way in is maybe a little bit different in the show. And for many people, it's just unlocking, um, you know, maybe some some hangups they've had or some maybe some lack of understanding they've had. Or for solid people, they've had an understanding that God has given them, but maybe not an enjoyment, maybe not a love of mm. or an emotional connection to Jesus that maybe they've seen in other people. And the show has, for many people, unlocked that. So. Um, yeah, it's been, I think the first indication that this was happening, that it was bigger than me, that it was better than me, better than I'm capable of doing, that God clearly had something to say was a story we heard from China from early on for, during the pandemic when the, this woman uh, was the only English speaker in her family. She was watching the show with her husband and kids. The show hadn't been translate, translated in Chinese yet. She had four kids, teenagers and young people, like as young as like seven years old was one of them. And they were all obsessed with the show and were binge watching all of season wow. one. She said, my kids are begging to watch the next episode. They didn't speak English. They didn't even understand the words that were being said. But their age was in the way, I thought. Their language was in the way, I thought. And yet God was like, just, you know, their their ethnicity, their, their, their cultural, all that, their cultural walls all of that was completely crashing down because God clearly had something to say and was moving them. And that's when I realized, okay, this show is currently and is going to be bigger than I'm capable of. And I'm going to stop having expectations or questions about it and just enjoy seeing what God is doing. That is absolutely amazing. What do you desire people to see the most about Jesus through this project? Uh, That's such a beautiful question. Um, I, the thing that has stood out to me the most as I've made the show and and then when we do this in the show, people respond really, really strongly, which is Jesus is a personal God. He is the God of the one-on-one. He has a unique relationship with you. And the gospel message is a one-size-fits-all message, but how he brings you to it and how he speaks to you is not one size fits all. Uh, you look at the miracles in the Gospels. You look at the way he called the the, the disciples to him. I remember um, my my former pastor James McDonald at, at Harvest Bible Chapel, where I worked for several years, and he once delivered a sermon that talked about the different ways Jesus called each of the disciples according to their personality types, and how fascinating that was. And it was a really beautiful sermon. And it was a really um, it, it was a really instructive. It was kind of the first, not the first, but maybe one of the key steps in my life and my progression of understanding how personal Jesus was. But this show has really brought that to light for me, and, and especially when I explore the Gospels. He preached to thousands as well at times, and but the, the majority of his miracles were specific, even in how he communicated to the people he was doing this miracle to, and even in the means that he that he did these miracles. And so I think that what people are responding to when they tell us about the show and their their reaction to it is, I feel like Jesus is speaking to me. I feel like that scene was for me. I feel like this character is me and Jesus called this character specifically or healed this person and it felt so relevant to me. And that's the thing about Jesus that I think is so cool. And that's how we approach a lot of these scenes. As you'll notice, if you're watching carefully, sometimes the camera work, the music, the audio gets super focused Mm-hmm. So, so that instead of a scene where Jesus is doing a miracle and we're seeing a big group of people all be like impressed, it's it's he's looking into the eyes of that person 
and we get that camera as close as we can and we get you into the, the space of these two people. And then when we're outside that space, it's not usually in a big crowd. It's not a big wide shot. We're taking you to someone who's watching and how it's impacting their walk. So you see in season one, Matthew and Nicodemus witnessing these miracles and seeing how they're, how it's impacting their hearts and minds. And so when the miracle takes place or when Jesus is calling someone to follow him, artistically, we shrink the world to where it is just Jesus and the person or the few few people that he's trying to reach in that moment. And I think that's a I think that's a spiritual truth that applies to our lives as well. He has a personal relationship with you through the Holy Spirit. I love that, how you use the camera angles to tell the story. That's true cinematography and, and film work. You said just a moment ago that this project is much bigger than you are. And to me, that's an indicator that it's definitely a God project and a God thing that you're doing. In the process of even raising the funds, because this was a crowdfunded uh, project, and then getting out there and doing it, have you had any doubts or crises of faith where it's like, oh, I don't know if we're going to be able to do this or we're going to make it? And if so, how did God help step you through those crises? Uh, we're, we're in one now. I mean, as I'm talking to you this moment, there's probably five significant things that need to happen soon for us to be able to afford to do season three, for us to be able to film on time, for us to be able to get the locations that we need and expect. Um, it happens all the time. Um, I, I, to, enough that it's clear God wants it to happen and wants us to be in this position of surrender. Um, now, the, the words you used in your question are, are appropriate, but but I think the answer speaks to it, which is you talk about a faith crisis. Um, I will say that we don't have as many faith crises anymore because God has been so faithful so many times that we we consistently remind each other. And, and as the, the, the captain of the ship, I have to remind myself first, of course, but then I have to remind everyone else of, of the words of this worship song that Vertical Church Worship um, does that is that change, you know is extraordinary. It's it's a song called Faithful Now, and the first verse um, I might forget some of the lyrics right now just because I'm on, on the spot. But it's um you know so it talks about how um, um, I'm sta- I, I am uh, I'm standing here and I'm 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 holding on to faith because I know you'll make a way. I don't always get to see and I don't always understand. I don't always understand. I don't always get to see, but I, but I will believe it because you make mountains move. You make giants fall. You turn songs of praise into, uh, to, to break prison walls. And I will speak to my fear and preach to my doubt that you were faithful then and you'll be faithful now. And um, so we don't have as many crises of faith because we're like, this is a God who, who separated the waters for the Israelites. This is a God who, in, in, when we were filming on a day that the radar was saying that the fog was going to be there till eight o'clock at night. So we started to pack up our bags and go home because we couldn't film and we were going to lose an entire day of filming and probably have to cut scenes that we were going to film that day because we weren't going to get to go back to that lake. And we prayed and God didn't answer and we weren't. So I guess we have to leave because we're not going to be able to film. And then this dense, heavy fog that was supposed to be there till eight o'clock, right at two or 30 in the afternoon, as we were pulling out of the parking lot, a gust of wind came and blew all of the fog away in less than five minutes, which no one had ever seen before. And oh, then we wow. were able to film in three hours 
all of the work that normally would take 12 hours because the fog lifted. And as the sun was going down, it was reflecting off of the fog, giving us more daylight than normal. Oh, wow. And, we were able to do it. and that, that, that happens with such mind numbing regularity on this show that we, that if, if we have another crisis of faith, Oh my goodness, shame on me <laughs> for like, at, at what point are you going to get, get on this program, Dallas and team that uh, God is in control of this project. So, um, it, it, it happens all the time, and, and and the only way through it is when God just we just go okay. We've done everything we can do. We've gotten to the edge of the Red Sea. We've followed the pillar of fire and the and the cloud of smoke, and we've made our loaves and fishes, uh, the five loaves and two fish. And now it's up to you to divide the waters. It's up to you to feed the five thousand because we literally have no options. We've done everything we can do, so we don't know what the next step is. Um, you're going to have to reveal it to us or do it yourself. And every time it's better than we would have anticipated. And it teaches us something profound. That's beautiful. That just encouraged me over here on this end. And I do have one last question for you. I call this the $64,000 question. And some of the people that work with me that are behind the scenes of what we do here have this question. It's about season three. When can we expect to see season three? And what, uh, what can we expect in the season? (laughs) <laughs> well, uh, the first question is, uh, we, we don't know exactly. I mean, we're going to be filming it in about two months. Um, and even with that, there's so many things going on right now that we don't know exactly how long filming is going to take. And it's just, it's just, I mean, I'm, I wish I could give you better answers because right now we're literally in the middle of, of one of these Red Sea moments where we're just waiting. You know, we're, we're in our tent. We know it's not permanent, but we don't know when God's going to open up, uh, uh, split the waters. Um, most likely the show will be released at least the first episode or two will be released uh you know sometime in the winter you know late fall early winter of 2022 and and uh and uh, so it we're, we're working on it in terms of what you can expect from season 3 um i'll i'll share with you the things that we're not keeping confidential and that is um this is a, the theme of this season is um can can be summed up and i think in what what simon and eden his wife are going through they go through a crisis of 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 marriage a crisis of faith it's it's one of the key themes of the season one of the key storylines and um and it it speaks to what everyone is going through is we are following this guy and we've committed our lives to him and when is the whole when is the fun part going to come when is the overthrowing of the romans going to come when is the making things better in our lives going to come why is he healing some people and not others? Why are our lives struggling even though we're following Jesus? And yet it seems like some of the struggles that some other people are having, whether it's a healing that they need or a you know a region that is, you know, needs needs Christ and gets it and wow, wow, is it is it isn't it is it supposed to be this difficult? I thought you know it seems like it's easy for some people and not for others. Why is that? We explore some some theological questions that I don't think have easy answers. Um, just one quick, again, one quick example is little James. If you, if you were been watching carefully and if you noticed in season two, episode three, little James has, um, is played by an actor who's disabled. He has, um, you know, spinal uh, fusion. And I, I don't even know all the terms. He's got a, a handful of maladies that cause him to have a severe limp and uh, hunched over a bit and, and is played by an actor named Jordan Ross. And when I cast him in the role, I'm like, well, I just painted myself into a corner because we're going to have to address this. Why does Jesus heal some and not others? Because Jordan is uh, you know, highly unlikely to be healed anytime on, on, on this side of heaven. 
And so what does that do for his character that he's portraying? Um, we have to explore that issue. And uh, we, yeah. we, we dig into it deeper in season three. And uh, it's that kind of stuff that, that uh, it's, it's, it's not as easy as it, as it sounds to, you know, to just tell Jesus stories. We got to explore some, some questions that we know they would have had. You definitely make it look easy when you see the end product. It, it's just, you know, it's just well, so, gracefully, so gracefully done. It's like, oh, wow. They, you know, you wouldn't even think it's like, okay, they're just doing it. And then we need to step back and take a look at all the details and the nuances. And then it's like, okay, this is, this is really deep. How can our viewers and um, listeners support you and uh, get involved with this project? Um, well, you know, telling, spreading the word about the project. If you've seen it, if you haven't seen it, then I, I would hope that you check it out. Um, you know, it's easy. We're easy to find. Just look up The Chosen. Uh, the, the best, highest quality path to watch the show is through our app. Uh, you just go look up The Chosen on on, on your phone and and we're, it, it'll come up. And then if you don't want to watch a sh show on your phone, um, I, I understand. I don't either. It connects directly free and easy. doesn't even require an email address to your streaming device. And we're also about to launch um, an app inside those streaming devices like Roku and Apple TV and Fire Stick. And so there's multiple ways to watch it. You can find all of season one on YouTube as well. Um, and uh, and Peacock and Fox Nation, a few other streaming platforms. But ultimately, you should discover the app. But, um, you know, the show is free. And you might think, well, then how do you afford to make it? And how do you guys make a living? Um, and it's, we're not a nonprofit. We're not a ministry. Um, people don't donate. They just choose to pay for it. Most people don't pay for it, uh, which is why it's important that some people do. Uh, that's what allows us to keep it free all over the world. It allows us to, 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 to do future episodes and seasons. Same thing with our apparel or our, our, our books and DVDs. Um, that's where, uh, you know, like even the hoodie I'm wearing right now is a phrase from from season one. And uh, we we make sure that the only things that we offer for people to purchase, like some of our apparel or our books, are actually life-giving conversations starting. They have meaning. Mm -hmm. They're not just promotional because um, we really believe strongly that we need to be doing something of impact, not just trying to promote a show. So all of that stuff is a way that you can help us do the show. Um, it's optional. We just call it optional payment. It's called paying it forward. Um, it's, again, there's no tax deduction for it. It's not a nonprofit. It's just you can pay for it or not. Uh, if you can't do that or don't want to, um, perfectly fine. Uh, we could use prayer always. Um, but again, lots of people can use prayer. So uh, I'm not going to beg anyone to to support the show in any way other than what God lays it on their hearts. And if you do love it and if you do watch more than one episode, I think it's fair to say maybe maybe you could contribute in some way, whether it's financially or with prayer or by spreading the word about it. But there's no pressure. Wow. Dallas, thank you for your faithfulness to produce this series. Uh, it's blessed my life. It's blessed a lot of our viewers um, and our listeners. It's why we wanted to bring you on. And I wanted to thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule to join us today. And thank you so much. Oh, thanks, Glenn. I really loved it. Great conversation. And uh, we'll, we'll do it again sometime. Absolutely. Thank you. And for our viewers and listeners, until next time, peace out and rock on. The church in Charleston, South Carolina is leaving the building on Saturday, May 14th for a day of ministry through music at Get Revelation Rock Fest 2022. Headlining Get Revelation Rock Fest at the Hanahan Amphitheater is Warriors of Light. Other artists include Jenna Parr, The Last Trumpet, 
Ziggy, Armor of God, Filthy Rags, Red Calling, Xandria Cross, Nettie, Tricord, and Suffering Gift. More information and tickets can be found on Eventbrite or at lithoscry.com. That's L-I-T-H-O-S-C-R-Y.com. Come on out and join us to rock on and set captives free with the gospel. Lithoscry.com